We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Lily Griesheimer, and I'm the women's pastor here at Rolling Hills. In today's podcast, we're kicking off our new series, A Beautiful Life, a study in 1 John. As we head into this series, we'll be navigating through the idea of legacy and how the book of 1 John represents the importance of leaving a legacy of love as a Christ follower. We're so excited for part one of this series. Now here's Jason. You know, there's a lot of things that everybody in this room are not going to agree upon. I could spend days up on end identifying a lot of things that you might agree with and that I might disagree with, or a preference that I might have that you do not have, whether it's a favorite uh, soft drink, Coke or Pepsi. You know, it's going to divide the group right down the middle as to who thinks one or the other is the best. And what about a Mac or a PC? I'm not going to share my opinion on that. I don't know why anybody would still use a PC, but nonetheless, you know, people like Macs. And then there's other people who like to use PCs. Or how about this one? Should Nolensville grow to a big town or should Nolensville stay a small town? You know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, a point of contention with a lot of people. What always cracks me up in that debate, though, are the people who feel really passionate about it staying a small town that moved here within the last five years. And I'm like, well, we let you in. So, I mean, why wouldn't we let everybody else in? Or whatever the case might be. Yet, I think that there is one thing. I do think that there is one thing that universally we can all agree upon. Universally, I think there is something that every one of us wants to pursue. And that's what I like to call the good life, the beautiful life. You don't want your days to be meaningless, do you? You don't want your days to be filled with chaos and stress. I've never met anybody who said, I hope my life is miserable. Or I hope that my life is just filled with so much stress and so much worry all the time. No, we want our days to be rich and full, beautiful and meaningful. So if that is something that we all want, if that is something that we all are hoping to pursue, it would make sense that we would figure out how to make that happen. That we would figure out how to make the most of the 40 or the 50 or the 60 or the 70 or the 80 or the 90 or perhaps 100 years that God gives you here on the earth that we would realize how to make a difference. Now, if I were to wheel out a big whiteboard and I were to say, I want you to fill out on this whiteboard everything that the world would say makes a beautiful life. What are some of the things that you would put on the board? You would probably say words like money or accomplishments, or notoriety, or perhaps it's family, or perhaps it's a good job, maybe it's retirement, maybe it is a nice house, and none of those things inherently are wrong. But what I would do is challenge some of those things to say, are those really what brings you a beautiful life? Because what we're going to do in this sermon series is look at this incredible book of the Bible called 1 John. And what 1 John is going to show us is how we are to actually have a beautiful life. Now, 1 John is a really interesting book of the Bible. I went back and looked. And to my knowledge, this is the first time that I've ever had an opportunity to preach through the book of 1 John. It's an incredible book of the Bible, but it's also a really difficult book of the Bible because it's a little confusing. Is there anybody that their personality is kind of like a squirrel? You're here and you're there and you're here and you're there. (laughs) Not just me. I think that's why I like 1 John, because it's all over the place, okay? I mean, it's all over the place, and you're going to see it here in just a little bit, but it's so rich, and it's so interesting. Now, 1 John is a first part of a three-epistle, three-parts letter that is written to everybody, and that's what's kind of confusing about the book of 1 John. Most of the letters in the New Testament have a specific author, that stayed in a specific place that they're addressed to, kind of like if I were to say, I, Jason, to the churches of Nolensville. 
But 1 John is a little bit different. This one just kind of starts. And along with the book of Hebrews, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the book of Hebrews are the four letters in the New Testament that the author is not stated right out in the front. Now, you're going to see here in just a little bit that most biblical scholars, and I certainly agree with them as well, would agree that the apostle John, the one who was closest to Jesus, the one who walked directly with Jesus, is the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I think you're going to see that even a little bit more clear once we start reading the text. But if you have a Bible, we want to open with me to 1 John. Then I want you to follow along with me. You're going to see these words on the screen. I always like to say this, where is this in the Bible? Let the Bible flop open and keep going a long way over to the right. Okay, all the way over. If you get to Revelation, you have gone too far. Go back a few pages and you'll be at 1 John. But I want you to listen to this to me and listen for these kind of insight into this beautiful life that God is calling us to live. Starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Did you notice out of the gate, there's like no introduction. I mean, usually the letters of the Bible are like, John to the so-and-so greetings. Not this one. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So out of the gate, John is saying, that whom we have heard, who we have looked at with our eyes, who we have touched, who we have been with, who we have served with, which leads again to this high degree of certainty that this is the Apostle John because he's talking about Jesus here. Because he was a first century believer. He was walking with Jesus in real time in the first century. John and the other disciples, they had a firsthand account of the life of Jesus. They walked with him. Now, further affirmation that John is kind of behind this is go to the book of John, the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the fourth book of the New Testament. Listen to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the word he's referencing here? It's Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God. And we know that God sent his son Jesus to this earth to make us whole and to make us right. And then you scroll all the way back over to 1 John and you realize that chapter 1, verse 1 sounds very familiar to John 1, 1, doesn't it? Because it says, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, we heard, we saw We were with him. And then look at verse 2. His life appeared. And we testify to what we have seen. And what we have seen and what we have heard is life-giving. What we have seen in this guy, Jesus, what we have seen in the one who we follow, it has given us life. Now, what did the early apostles see Jesus do? What would John have seen Jesus do? Well, how much time do you have on your hands? Because the Bible says that there's so many miracles that Jesus performed that aren't even acknowledged in here. Isn't that cool? Don't you want to know those? 
I mean, the ones that are here are mind-blowing. I can't wait to get to heaven to be in the session where we learn all the other miracles that Jesus did. But I mean, but just to name a few, he took a little boy's lunch and fed thousands of people. He saw a woman caught in the act of adultery, and he said, neither do I condemn you. Go leave your life of sin. He goes to a Samaritan woman who the rest of the population, the Jewish population, would have spent six extra days going around Samaria to not have to be with this woman. And he goes to her and says, give me a drink of water. He brings sight to the blind, but most importantly, what they had seen Jesus do is they saw him go to the cross for their sins. And then he was taken off that cross, and he was put in a tomb. And three days later, he burst forth out of the grave, which serves as a great reminder. If you think the message of Easter was just important last Sunday on Easter, oh, you are so wrong. That Easter message is just as important today and next week as it was last Sunday. In fact, I have the same opening point today that I had last Sunday. Come back next week. It might be the same opening point next week as well. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It's why in verse 2, John says, This life, his life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to this eternal life, which was with the Father, Jesus was with God, and he has appeared now to us. And what John is saying is you can have eternal life. And why can you have eternal life? You can have eternal life because Jesus conquered death. So where does this beautiful life that we're pursuing start? It starts right here. It starts with an understanding of the resurrection. Now, for John and the early apostles, it's almost as if they're saying, trust us on this because the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> we were with the guy. We were first century. We were right there with him. And maybe it's hard for you to believe. Now, in the year 2021, maybe these claims of Jesus are just a little bit more difficult for you to understand. And that's okay. If you've got questions about Jesus, can all of this really be trusted? You are in a really safe place this morning to ask those questions and to process through those things. Maybe you can't really fathom that Jesus really wants to change everything about your life. But I'm going to encourage you this morning to try, to surrender to him, to give everything to him and see if he doesn't drastically change the trajectory of your life. Now, go back to the Apostle John. They would have walked with Jesus. They would have talked with Jesus in person. They would have seen his blood pour out of his body, and then they would have seen him go in that grave. And then he comes out of the grave, and the disciples, you can read it, the disciples were actually really afraid after the resurrection, so afraid that they were in a locked room because of fear from the Jews. And Jesus comes and presents himself to them. And that blows their mind, as it should. So he's saying, I think you can trust what we're saying. I think you can trust me in this. It's as if John is saying, I can't really explain how all this happened, but trust me, it happened. Are there some things like that in your life that you say, you know what, I can't really explain how all of that happened, but I know that it did. Uh, if you have ever, um, or how to, whatever I should say, once you're mind blown, I can't even wrap my mind around this, where babies come from. Now, I don't need a birds and the bees talk. I know where babies <laughs> come from. Some of you guys are like, oh, wow, you've made it this far in life and do not know the answer to that question. Not that talk, but stop for a second and actually think about this process because it's really mind-blowing. In a moment of intimacy between a man and woman that can only happen on certain days of the month, an egg is fertilized 
And that egg begins to grow. And then that egg begins to develop a heartbeat. And then those cells in that egg, they start replicating. And they start replicating millions of times over and over and over again for a nine-month period of time. So basically, every human that has ever been born, past, present, and future, anywhere across the world, has a nine-month gestational period. And are somewhere around that nine-month mark, they come into the world. And when that baby is born, it has a complete set of DNA. It cries. It poops. It eventually learns how to talk. And in some cases, has features of his parents. The dad has a unibrow, unfortunate baby has a unibrow. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. But you know what, guys? I don't question that. Why? Because I've seen it. You don't question it because you've seen it. Now, some of you in the room are still skeptical, so if that didn't convince you, maybe this will. Maybe you're a baseball fan. There's an amazing resource out there. It was put together by a Yale physicist, and his name was Robert Adair, and he authored a book called The Physics of Baseball. In honor of baseball season opening day uh, a week and a half ago, uh, I thought that maybe some of you would find this relevant, and I heard it referenced in a sermon um, uh, by, uh, by a pastor named J.D. Greer, and the, the illustration was interesting to me, and this study that Robert Adair did was really, really fascinating to me, and I want to share it with you because this is what Robert Adair says. He says, I want you to imagine that you're sitting, standing, I should say, at home plate opposite a pitcher, and you're getting ready to try to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball coming your way. Now, for some of you guys, that is a dream come true. And for some of you, that's the scariest thing that you can ever think about, trying to be on the receiving end of a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. So from the hand of the pitcher to the glove of the catcher is approximately 60 feet and 6 inches. And so a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, it is going to travel from the hand of the pitcher to the glove of the catcher in 400 milliseconds. That's less than half a second. That's how fast 90 miles an hour at 60 feet, 6 inches. Yeah, so this is what Robert Adair says. He says he's, he's figured out the physics of this, that it takes 200 seconds for a batter to determine whether or not he's going to swing. 200 seconds. So half of the time that it takes to get from point A to point B is me just sitting there deciding, am I going to swing at this pitch? And then once he decides to swing, he has an additional 100 milliseconds that it takes to determine, do I swing high, do I swing low, do I swing inside, do I swing outside? So 300 seconds of just processing, sorry, 300 milliseconds of just processing. And then if he decides to swing, it takes an additional 150 milliseconds for the swing to actually happen. Now, some of you are math majors in the room. 200 plus 100 plus 150 is 450 milliseconds for him to swing. But Robert Adair also told us that the ball makes it from the hand to the glove in 400 milliseconds. So this is what Robert Adair, the Yale physicist, determined. He says that hitting a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, according to the law of physics, is impossible. Now, do you agree with Robert Adair? No. Of course you don't agree. Why? Because you've seen it happen. In fact, we have pitchers right now that can throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, and people can hit it. There's a couple guys in the majors right now that can throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, 60 feet, 6 inches, and somebody hit it. See, what John is saying is Jesus changed everything, and you can try to explain that resurrection away in whatever way you want to. But trust me on this. He was alive. He was dead. <laughs> he had no pulse. He was buried. He came back to life, and that's where our life starts.
That's where this beautiful life starts. Now, why is John proclaiming all of this? Why is John going to all of this detail? Go back to verse 3. He says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. He's saying, I want you to have fellowship with us. I want you to have fellowship with the Father. I want you to have fellowship with Jesus. I want you to have fellowship with one another. And as a result of that fellowship, your joy will be complete. John is saying, my joy, his joy, is complete by seeing the fellowship that is formed with God, with Jesus, and with one another. So you see this here on your notes, but nothing in life will lead to greater joy than putting Jesus first. Nothing in life will lead to greater joy than putting Jesus first first. It's where that beautiful life starts. You put Jesus first, and there is fellowship that comes with that. Now, this Greek word, the New Testament was written in Greek, and this Greek word for fellowship that we've translated over to English is the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia is a really interesting word because our English translation of fellowship is, is a little bit, you know, a little bit weak in its understanding because we think of fellowship and we think fellowship of the ring or we think of, you know, of just, you know, like a group of people who just happen to all be in the same room together and it's a fellowship, um, you know, and I don't even have to know anybody's name in the room and I'm a part of the fellowship or whatever the case might be. And it's, it's really kind of that English definition is a little bit weak because what koinonia actually means is it really means partnership. It really means that I'm sharing in life together. It means that I'm sharing in the fellowship with God, that I'm sharing in fellowship with other people. It's not just acquaintances. These aren't just people, you know, that I've kind of seen one time and I don't really even know who they are. But what he's saying here is that it's about dependence. And it's about me needing you and you needing me and me serving you and you serving me and me helping you and you helping me. That's what this koinonia is all about. And our joy, according to John, is complete when we find that. So what does that mean? It means that people help me find this beautiful life that God has for me. God has not put you on a mission to find your beautiful life alone. He's called you to be with people. Now, some of you in the room are single, and you're saying, well, does that mean that I can't find the beautiful life? Or I don't have children. Does that mean that I can't find the beautiful life? Or I don't have grandchildren. Does that mean I can't find the beautiful life? Or I'm a widow. Does that mean I can't find the beautiful life? Absolutely not. It's not at all what is being said here in this text. But what it is saying is that you need people. You need people, a koinonia, a fellowship. And a lot of us are coming off of a year where we've just not had a lot of people in our lives. And it's, and, and in many people's lives, it's, it's really robbed them of, of some blessings and robbed them of some of the koinonia. Do I think this last year that you should have been really safe? Absolutely. Do I think that you should continue to be really safe? Absolutely. But I do want you to be very cautious and moving forward to, to not believe that people are bad. <laughs> because what's God's secondary commandment? It's love who first? God and who second? people. So according to God's word, people shouldn't be avoided. People should be welcomed in, and I should seek to grow in those relationships. And what John is saying here is that the message of Christ is proclaimed so that we can have 
that. Have you noticed, have you ever had a season of your life that you would just say is the exact opposite of the beautiful life God has called me to live? Anybody, anybody be honest enough to say, yeah, I've had a season <laughs> that was not the beautiful life that God called me to live? If you look at that kind of cross-sectional of that season, it was likely that you were probably in way too much isolation than you needed to be and that you didn't have people surrounding you who were speaking truth and who were giving you life with their words. And so these aren't just kind of little self-help ideas. This is God being really clear and saying, I want you to have that beautiful life, and this is how you find it. John continues on in verse 5. This is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, what John is doing here is he moves into this portion of the letter, and I think this is really interesting because what he does is he gives a kind of an interesting litmus test to the readers to say, let me just see if you really understand what it means to have this life that God calls you to live. Because this is what he says, he says, God is light. God is referenced as light many, many times throughout Scripture. Jesus is the great light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And then John goes on to say, so if we claim to have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie. It's really clear. He says, if we claim to have fellowship, we claim to have fellowship with God and fellowship in understanding who God is and what God has done for us, but I walk in darkness, then according to John, then I'm deceiving myself. I'm lying to myself. I'm lying to God, and I'm ultimately lying to other people. Now, contrary to what we like to believe, the, burger, the, the motto for Burger King is really great for Burger King. Have it your way. Right? That, that's great. That works for Burger King. I want lettuce. I want onions. I don't want pickles. Have it your way. It's great. When it comes to matters of faith, have it your way is not a very good motto. <laughs> it's not a very good motto to say, you know what, I want to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and then on all the even years, I'm going to walk in light and be with Jesus. But on all the odd years, 2021, uh-oh, I'm going to live in darkness and seek to be a sinner. And that's not the way it works. The principle here is that Jesus is trying to get us to understand through these words of John that when it comes to seeking to live that beautiful life that Jesus has for me, I have to say that Jesus is important, but I have to live like he's important, which just begs this question. It's a great question. Anybody can say Jesus is important to them, but how do you really know that he is? Anybody can say Jesus is important, but how do you really know that he is? You really know that he is when you say, yes, I'm pursuing that beautiful life. I'm claiming that beautiful life, and I'm going to follow suit to live in his light. Now, maybe this has happened to you before where you have encountered somebody who what they say doesn't match up with what they do. Don't you, some of y'all, y'all work with this person. You know that person, that lady that always says she's going to email you and you've been waiting six years for an email. And you're like, you have not been on vacation for six years. Like, I know that I'm just, I'm just waiting. Or the people who say, yeah, let's get together sometime. And they've been saying that for 20 years. And you're like, we're probably not going to be getting together. I mean, we've been trying to come up with a plan for 20 years, and I'm now in my 70s, and, you know, and we just haven't, we, we've not been able to, to figure that out. And what happens in those types of relationships is you probably tend to get frustrated, don't you? Because what's being said doesn't match up with what's actually happening. And what Jesus is wanting us to get, and what John is wanting us to understand in this letter is to say Jesus is important with your words is one thing. 
But then to actually walk in light and to flee from sin is an entirely different thing. People will be frustrated when what they see in our life doesn't match with how we act. If I say this, but I do this, and they're totally opposite, which one are you going to believe? Choice B. Every time. This frustrates people. In fact, it frustrates your unbelieving friends as well. Did you guys know that you have eyes on you all the time? Ooh, and some of us are like, oh, I wish I didn't have so many eyes on me all the time. There were people that watched you leave your garage this morning, and they knew where you were coming. They knew you were headed to church. They know that you go to church. You post about it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing our Facebook posts and sharing our Instagrams and liking them and whatnot. But the, all the unbelieving world, they see that in you. And so they're looking for, do your words match up with what you say? And if they don't, it causes them to ask questions and it causes them to be confused. And so all of a sudden you go back and you realize this is why this is so important to this understanding of the beautiful life. That what I say Yes, I'm in the fellowship of a believer's fellowship of with God, but it actually matches up in my life. Keep going to verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So see, if you really want the life that Jesus has for you, don't get it wrong when it comes to sin. There's a lot that you can get wrong. There's a lot that you can disagree about. There's a lot that you may say, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way that you did it, or whatever the case might be, a different expression of worship, whatever the case might be. There's a lot of variance that is available in your walk with Jesus. Don't get it wrong when it comes to sin, however, because if you get it wrong when it comes to sin, there is uh, some consequences to getting that wrong. Because you can't live a life of purpose and a life of meaning without a deep understanding of sin and your separation from God. Because what John is saying here is that there's absolutely no truth in us if we claim to be without sin. So if you've ever stood up and said, yes, I am perfect and I have no sin whatsoever in me, then there is no truth in you according to the word because no one can claim to be without sin, because no one is without sin. So what does that tell us about sin? You see it here on your notes. Sin is the great separator then. Sin is the great separator. Look at Isaiah 59 too. I love this verse. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That word iniquities is another way to say sin. What has separated us from God? Sin has separated us from God. And our sins have hidden his face so that he will not hear. See, sin is what keeps us in bondage. But sin is why Jesus was sent also. Sin is what holds us captive. But our need for a Savior is why God sent Jesus to set us free. To set us free from our captivity. So we are to turn from sin and to walk in the light. And those steps lead us to a beautiful life. Now, some of you are looking at me kind of like, well, it sounds a lot, Pastor Jason, like you're asking me that I have to be perfect. You're saying that I have to be perfect. Not at all, because if you needed to be perfect, there would have been no need for Jesus to come. So let go of the need to be perfect. Let go of the need to say, you know what, I'm going to take the next year of my life and I'm never going to sin. Reality is, you're going to. 
But the promise here is that when I am in fellowship with him, I am fleeing that. Does that mean I'm going to make mistakes? Yes. Does that mean I'm going to mess up? Yes. But I'm fleeing that and I'm seeking to walk in the light. Now, at the root, sin is what keeps us from living a life of purpose and having a beautiful life. We tend to think it's lack of education or I don't have a great enough job or enough resources or whatever the case might be. If I just had that, then my life would be really beautiful. Or if, um, you know, if I just had um, a little more business or whatever the case might be, then that really is what would lead me to a beautiful life. Or if I just had fill in the blank. And again, nothing wrong with all those, but what the beautiful life really starts with and what it hinges on is this. And if you can grasp this, that sin is the great separator from eternity with Jesus and eternity apart from Jesus. Sin is the great separator from a dull, boring, worrisome life and a rich, freeing, abundant life. And so I hope you'll grapple with that this morning. And maybe you're here and you just say, you know what, there is some sin in my life that's unconfessed. Please don't leave this place today without bringing that to God and just saying, God, I am broken and I am imperfect And I am in need of you, so thank you for sending Jesus to take that and to free me from that bondage. Over the last year, one of the things that I have really missed um, are events. I have missed events. I have missed going to concerts. I have missed sporting events. In my previous career, I was an event planner, so it is in my blood. I love rooms with thousands of people cheering for the team. I love it, and I can't wait for that to be the norm again. And I've had a few instances in my life where I've attended an event, and something really special happened. I've had a handful of instances where I've gone to an event, be it a concert or a sporting event, and I got to do something that the general population didn't get to do. And what that is, is I was given an all-access pass, or some pass that gets you into some place that the rest of the population does not get to go to. And let me tell you, when that happens, you never want to go to the 300 section again. <laughs> You're just like, oh, the next concert, i got to sit down here with the minions. You know, I can't, I don't get to set up there in the luxury suite or whatever the case might be. And in these specific instances, I had someone with me that was much more important than me, and so, which wouldn't take much. And so they decided to be really kind to me and say, let's, you know, let you come and be a part of this as well. And what I saw in those instances is that all it took was a little lanyard or a little yellow wristband to flash at the usher, and they pull back the curtain so you can walk in where nobody else can go. And it's brilliant. And so the one time, not too long ago, um, pre-COVID that this happened, um, I was at a sporting event, and I was given a little wristband that got me access to all of the hospitality stuff, you know, all the free food. Well, I borderline abused it. I mean, I'm just going to be real with you, because I thought to myself, I'm probably never going to be back here again, so um, I'm going to live it up. And so, like, every time out, I'm like chicken tenders, you know, I'm running every stop of play, I'm like, a little donut would be good right now, you know, and so then I get back, I think I spent more time back behind the curtain than I did out actually enjoying the game. But this is what I realized in the moment. This is what I realized about that little wristband. No wristband, no free chicken. (laughs) I mean, chicken is in abundance in the arena, but it's like $14 for three chicken tenders. Wristband, free. No wristband, no free chicken. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. You guys are like, where's he going with this? Go back to verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all 
unrighteousness. No confession, no beautiful life. Just like without this wrist man, I do not get any free chicken. Without confession, I will never understand what the beautiful life looks like. It hinges on this. You will not, if you hear nothing else I say today, you will not find the beautiful life that Jesus has for you without confession. You just simply will not. You see this here on your notes, but confession is central to a life well-lived for Jesus. Confession is central to a life well-lived for Jesus. And that's confession to God first and foremost. But it's also those moments of honesty when you just, you know, confess to other people that you are broken. And you might on a newsflash, they know that you're broken already. You're probably not telling most people something they don't already know of just how broken you are and just how in need of a Savior that you really are. But what John is saying is that God is faithful and God is just and God will forgive us and cleanse us from all sin. So a beautiful life is a confessing life. In fact, ask somebody who you admire. Get in your mind right now, somebody that you admire, somebody that's been walking with Jesus, maybe 40, 50, 60 years. And I hope that lots of people come to your mind. But people that you just kind of look at and you think, man, I hope that someday my spiritual life can be like theirs. And if you were to sit down and ask them, how often do you confess things in your life? I promise you they're going to say a lot. There's going to be a high degree of confession in their life. Why? Because they're going to realize their need for a Savior. And they're going to realize their need for forgiveness. And they're going to realize their need for grace. See, what does confession do? Confession reminds me of how broken I am and how messed up I am. But confession also erodes arrogance in my life, and it breeds humility. Think about it. What happens in your life when the arrogance erodes and humility grows? It's beautiful. It's a beautiful life. When the arrogance and everything being all about me, and everything being about me being the center of the world, when I let all that fall by the wayside, and I start confessing to God how imperfect I am, and letting other people know that I'm up with things, see, that tends to breed humility, and that decrease of arrogance and that increase of humility, it's a beautiful place to live. We need that desperately in our world right now. As the church, we need to be that. When people look at us, they need to see less arrogance, more humility. They need to see less, more, less all about me and more all about him. So of all the things that you and I might not be able to agree on, of all the disagreements that we may have, of all the disagreements that you may have with someone else, this is hopefully something that we can all agree on. That full, meaningful, beautiful life, it's here. And how is it found? It's found by understanding the power of the resurrection. It's found in that fellowship with God and others. It comes from that overflowing joy that we experience when we are with others. And it comes when I confess that I'm broken and I'm in need of a Savior and I ask God to come and make me whole and make me right. Maybe you're here this morning and there's a step that you need to take. And I pray that you would take that step. We give you those cards every week, and maybe there's a step you want to take, and you just want to write it on there right now, and you just say, hey, this is what God's doing in my heart, and I, I want you to pray for me, or I want your team to pray for me, or I want somebody to send me a message this week so that we can talk about that. Don't leave this place this morning without experiencing what it means to have that beautiful life, so let's chase after it. Let's find it, and let's share it with one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for 
who you are. I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your provision. I pray, God, right now for the person in this room who um, is struggling. I know that anytime any group of people are assembled, there has to be somebody here that's just struggling to know and wondering if you can really be trusted, if you are good, if you have a plan for their life. So I pray that you would speak to them now. I pray for the person right now that's got a lot of faith questions, that you would show them what it means to take that step for you. And I pray for the person that's just broken. Life has just um, not seemed very beautiful. It's not seemed very full. It certainly hasn't seemed very meaningful or rich. I pray, God, that you would work in that person's heart right now and that you would give them, God, just a, a gentle reminder through the Holy Spirit that you are with them and that you would show them the steps that they need to take to reposition their life around you and not the things of this world or the things that are causing them all the stress and the anxiety. God, we thank you that you hear our prayers. And we thank you that you know what we need before we ever ask. And so I pray that you would have free reign to work in this place today. And I thank you for your son Jesus, who gives us life, who gives us hope, and who gives us freedom. And so it is in his name that we live. It's in his name that we pray. And it's in his name that we seek to live that beautiful life, but life of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.